You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, that you love us. We just praise you, dear Lord, for the privilege of worshiping and, dear Lord, just celebrating Jesus. Lord, we ask you to open up our hearts even now, make us sensitive to what you want to say. Lord, your vessel's weak. Your messenger, dear Lord, is sick. And yet, dear Lord, um, you use the weak to confound the mighty. You use the foolish to confound the wise. And Lord, it's just the way you work, and we praise you for that. Lord, we give you glory that you alone are worthy. And oh, sweet Jesus, we just love you. And we praise you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, it's good to see you here, and this will be a little different today. I probably won't be jumping up and down and running around up here, that's for sure. But it is good to be in the house of the Lord. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. And what I'd like to do is to do two things. Today I'd like to, and, and I know we're down a little bit. Maybe this is the pre-Easter slump. I don't know what this is. But I want to make you aware that this week you need to pray and you need to be prepared and uh, be very, very spiritually tuned up for next Sunday because a lot of times you'll have people here that normally are not here. And all God's people said, amen. But in Matthew... We're going to be looking at two things today. We're going to look at the Lord's Supper and then the trial of Christ. And then next week, we're going to look at the crucifixion and the resurrection. And, and so you need, to, uh, you need to really be tuned into this, okay? So today, and realize my, my voice is kind of down and, and, and I'm not feeling well, but just kind of, just kind of bear with me. When you, when you look at a Jewish calendar, their calendar in a lot of ways was like ours. If you looked at our calendar, you'd see Easter, Good Friday, you'd see Halloween, you'd, much to our dismay, you'd see, you'd see uh, you know, Christmas, you'd see Thanksgiving, you'd see Fourth of July. To a Jew, when we look at this thing of the Lord's Supper, we need to understand that they too had their own calendar. And they celebrated festivals and events and special moments in their history that they commemorated, they remembered, they referred back to, they thought about often, and, and it was important to them. Let me give you a few of them. The Feast of Pentecost, or some would call it the Feast of Weeks. Now, if you think about Pentecost, you may think of Acts chapter 2, where the church was empowered with the Holy Spirit, and that was on the day of Pentecost. And in the Feast of Weeks, or in the, in the celebration of Pentecost, it was a time when a Jew would come together, and they would set aside that time to celebrate the harvest, the, the harvest that was coming in, thanking God for it. And, you know, we used to have Harvest Sunday years ago where people would actually come in in a farming community, and they'd bring their gifts, they'd bring their offerings, special gifts. And, and, and so this was uh, one of them, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And you may say, well, what did that mean? Well, during the Exodus wandering, when they were set free and they were wandering in the wilderness, often what they would do, they would build temporary dwellings, booths, just, uh, just like God dwelled in the tabernacle. They too would do the same thing. And, and, and so they would, they, would, they would celebrate that. Um, 
let me, let me, get, let me explain again because, in, and the only way I can do this, and people, a lot of people listen on the website, I'm walking over to a cross that we have here in our sanctuary. But the idea is this. The, I use the word there, katapateo, in the last few weeks as we talked about preparing the heart, making your heart holy, getting ready for Easter. And basically we said this, that there's a danger sometimes when you and I know we're covered by grace and the love of God, we have a tendency to kind of live the way we want to live, Right? And we talked about this thing of holiness. And we said the word katapateo is, the word means to trample or to tread under our feet. And what we said is if we're not careful and we're living unholy, ungodly lives, we have a tendency to take the grace of God, the love of God, and kind of trample it under our feet. In other words, we trample under our feet the cross of Christ. So if we made a commitment that we said as a congregation for next Sunday Easter, we're going to lay this cross down over here. And we're going to remind people that we do not step on the cross. We don't trample the sacrifice, the love of Jesus Christ by living an unholy life. And so you may say, well, that's strange. But let's say that some child comes in next week, or, or let's say that you have a family member that you've invited. They come and they say, you know, I thought that was weird that y'all had a cross laying on the floor. And you say, well, let me tell you what that cross means. And you start explaining it. You see, now all of a sudden, it becomes a memorial. It's something that we commemorate. It's something that we remember. We're remembering a commitment by this congregation that we are not going to live lives that trample under our feet the love and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that cross bears evidence to that. It becomes a memorial in this sanctuary. Does that make sense? Well, the Jew had a lot of memorials. And so when we talk about the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Tabernacle, uh, the Feast of Purim, you may say, well, that's a strange-sounding one. Well, that commemorates um, the book of Esther. If you've ever read the book of Esther, there was a wicked man by the name of Haman, and Haman wanted to exterminate. He wanted to wipe out, and this was during the Persian captivity. The Jews were in exile, and this man, Haman, he had a wicked plot. He wanted to, listen to this, he, like Hitler wanted to kill every Jew. And he would have done it. There was only one thing. A sovereign God had taken a Jewish girl by the name of Esther who had hidden her identity and made her the queen of the Persian Empire. And nobody knew it. Haman didn't know it. Till finally a man by the name of Mordecai Uncle Mordecai looked at her one day and he said, you know, there's this wicked plot and now the, an edit had been set out by the king that says all the Jews are to be killed. And he says, Esther, you've got to go to the king and you've got to plead our case. Esther said, well, listen, if I go before him unsummoned, he can kill me. And Mordecai said these great words. He said, Esther, who's to say that God has not called you before such a time as this? God will deliver us. You need to be that vessel, that vehicle. And they celebrate the Feast of Purim. For every mom with a daughter, it's a beautiful book to read. Then there's the Feast of Dedication. You may say, well, that's a strange one. That's the deliverance of the Jewish people by a man by the name of Jacob uh, Maccabeus, the Maccabean Revolt. You may say, well, I've never heard of that before. If you're a Catholic and you had an apocrypha in your Bible, you would have these books in your Bible, but we don't recognize that as part of the authority of God's Scripture. But they're a part of Jewish history. And under Jacob Maccabeus, I think it's Jacob, 
under the Maccabean revolt, the Jewish people were set free from a time when Antiochus, a ruler, would have killed them, would have exterminated them. He had actually taken a pig and carried it into the temple of the Jewish people. And under that revolt, the people were set free. There's one more, and there's one critical one. And it was the Day of Atonement. It was during this time when it was the holiest of holiest times when they would celebrate the Passover. And when they celebrated the Passover, it was that event by which God had set the Jewish people free and, sent, and brought them out of what? Had brought them out of Egypt, had brought them out of slavery, had delivered them. And in that event, it was a critical time. The people, people would gather, just like they did all the way back thousands of years ago in Egypt. They would gather their families together. They'd take the blood of a lamb. They would cut the, and slit the throat of that, that lamb. They would spill that blood over in a basin. They would take that hyssop and they would go out and they would do it over the door frames, appropriating the blood of the lamb over their homes. Then they were told by Moses, God had told Moses, he said, take the people in there, into their homes, inside. And when the death angel passes, when the death angel comes through, the death angel will pass over every place he sees the blood of the lamb. Does that make sense? These people would gather and they would celebrate. They would eat unleavened bread. They would eat bitter herbs. They would, they, would, they would celebrate this event. And every part of that had a meaning. We did the Lord's Supper last week. Let me walk you through that real quickly. What were the elements? One, the unleavened bread. Last week, we had a little bitty small wafer. You may say, well, that's a strange little thing, this cracker little thing that gums up your teeth and sticks in your, you know, in your denture work, and you're thinking, you know, what's the meaning of this? Yeast was a raising agent. When the Jewish people used yeast, what they would do is they would, they would make their bread, they'd put yeast, and then they'd pull a piece of that off, and they would use it as a starter to start more bread. Some of you know what I'm talking about here. When the Jewish people were set free of Egypt, God said, listen, the fact that the bread will be unleavened is this. You're going to leave so quickly that you don't even have time for your bread to rise. Let me tell you this. When you and I come to Christ, that's how quickly we come out of the old life. In fact, yeast went on to mean this. Yeast symbolized sin or ungodliness, unholiness. Yeast tended to symbolize our old life that we're trying, trying to leave behind. We are not only being delivered out of the slavery of sin, we're leaving that yeast, that old stuff behind us, and we don't want it in our life anymore. So when Jesus gathered with his disciples there in Matthew, he is celebrating this event called the Passover. Let's look at it in Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. On the first day of the feast of the unleavened, of unleavened, on the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, "Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover?" He replied, "Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, "My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your home." So the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening was come, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad. They said to him, one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Surely not I. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written, 
about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him had he not been born than Judas, the one who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, he gave thanks, he offered it to them saying, Drink from it all, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many of the forgiveness of sin. I tell you, I will not drink of this cup or the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drank it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the environment. This is the Passover. Jesus is celebrating this event with his disciples. So he has the unleavened bread. They're partaking of the unleavened bread. And, they, and, and, and I, I, had a, I had a Jewish, we had a Jewish friend, Sheila and I, we still do. This Jewish friend helped us understand this. She said, you know, in the, in the Jewish home, when you get ready for the Passover, to celebrate the Passover which the, the Jews, some Jews, culturally still do because they don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. She said, so this is a cultural event. She said, but it's so funny because in the Jewish home, she said, my dad would bring us all in and then we would go through the house celebrating and looking for yeast. In other words, if there were Nabisco crackers, Ritz crackers, a piece of bread, a, uh, you know, a couple end pieces of bread stuck and wrapped and falling back over there, we searched all through the house. We went, she, listen to this, she said we went into closets, we looked on shelves, we looked everywhere. There was a packet of yeast, it had to go. Bread, it had to go. Cookies had to go. Everything had to go. If it had yeast, it was out of the house. Wow. What do you think he was teaching his kids? Could you imagine if that represented sin, what it would be for you and I to have that kind of attitude toward it? Kids, come on. We, we got to get this place ready for Jesus. Let's get everything out that even reflects in any way anything that has sin. Oh, that video's got to go. That music's got to go. We got to cut that channel off. Call the cable company. Honey, get in there quick. We got to get that off. We got to do this. We got to get everything ready. You see, this was a celebration. So Jesus gathered his disciples, they eat the unleavened bread, and then they had the lamb. Wow. The lamb was selected on the 10th day of the month. They, 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 they selected the lamb. They would go and they would select the lamb on the 10th day, and on the, on the 14th day they would kill it. From the 10th day to the 14th day they would keep the lamb. Listen to this. They would keep the lamb in their home. It was, believed that Mary, it was believed that Mary and Martha and Lazarus kept Jesus and the disciples kept their lamb in their home. Isn't that something? Jesus and his disciples, they would select on the day of their entry, the day, listen, this, this day here, the day, um, uh, the Palm Sunday, this day when they came in, one of the things that they would do, once they got into Jerusalem, they, he would send his disciples, they would select a lamb, and then that lamb was probably taken to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and it was kept there in their home. Tradition required that they could have no less than 10 people per lamb and no more than 14. They believed that there were over 2 million people in Jerusalem because 250,000 lambs were killed in the Passover. 
250,000 lambs killed in the Passover. The Kidron Valley flowed with blood. Listen to this. All 250,000 lambs were killed between the hours of 3 and 5 in the afternoon. In a two-hour period. Let me ask you one more question. When did Jesus die? Are you with me? Third, there was the preparation. It was not only the unleavened bread, it was not only the lamb, there was the preparation. The lamb would be taken to the priest, it would have to be slaughtered between the hours of three and five. The unleavened bread, the, the wine, the bitter herbs, the dip for the Passover meal, all of that was a critical part of it. In other words, when Jesus gathered with his disciples, like every Jewish family celebrating the lamb, every Jewish family celebrating the, la- the Last Supper, they would have the lamb's blood. As the lamb, uh, not at the lamb's blood, but they would have the lamb's, they would understand that the, the spilling of the lamb's blood was a picture of deliverance. They would understand that the four cups of wine that they would drink there at that table, there at that table was symbolized of the four promises in Exodus chapter 6. The bowl, the bowl that they would dip in, the one that Jesus and his disciples were dipping in was for the unleavened bread and for the bitter herbs. In that bowl was a paste that was made up of apples and dates and pomegranates and cinnamon sticks. And you may say, and I don't know about you, but this got me. What would that brown mush represent to a Jew celebrating the Passover? It's, it, it recognized mud. These people for hundreds and hundreds of years had spent their lives down in the mire, in the mud of the Egyptian pits, making those bricks. And now what God was saying, I don't never want you to forget where you came from. And so when they dipped in that brown mush, those cinnamon sticks, what do you think that represented? What did the Pharaoh say to them when he told them, he said, he, he rejected Moses in the beginning. He said, no longer will we provide what? Straw. Now you'll get it yourself. Those cinnamon sticks in that, those sticks of cinnamon in that, in that mush of pomegranate and dates and, and those things that were mixed up to look like brown mush to you and I symbolized to the Jew not only mud but straw. So here Jesus and his disciples are going through this. In, 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 Mark, in Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, Mark chapter 14, Jesus told Peter and John, he said, listen, you go find a place for us to celebrate the Passover. He was homeless. They had to find a place. In fact, Jesus tells them, he says, listen, you're going to go and you're going to see a man carrying a pitcher. Well, that's a strange thing. Well, it, wasn't, it, it was strange in those days too because men didn't carry pitchers. If you go to Africa, you'll see women carrying uh, water. But I can tell you what you'll hardly ever, ever see. You will never see a man carrying water. So what Jesus was saying to Peter and John, listen, when you go into the city, understand this, you're going to see a man with, with a pitcher on his head, a pitcher of water. And when you see him, you say, the master's ready now. Would you go get the room ready? And so here, everything was being made because this was the last. Listen, this wasn't just the Lord's Supper. This was the last Passover. The prophecy all the way back in the Garden of Eden, you remember? Where, where the prophecy was made that you'll bruise man's heel and man will crush your head, that was about to be fulfilled by the blood of the Lamb. Sin debt was getting ready to be paid. 
no longer would the penalty of sin be on man as they appropriate the blood of Christ over their lives. All of a sudden, every messianic prophecy was about to be fulfilled. He tells Judas at one point, he says, Judas, you can't be here. It's time for you to go. You are the son of perdition. This day is coming. Woe to the man that it comes. Woe is the word curse. He says, listen, Judas, listen, um, what thou doest, do quickly. Set in motion the plan of redemption. You go ahead and do your part now. You play your role. Heaven stands at attention. In this Last Supper, heaven is standing at attention. Listen, all the patriarchs, all the, New, all the Old Testament prophets in heaven, I believe, are standing at attention because the last Passover is being celebrated. It is no longer the Old Testament covenant. It is being put to rest because as John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that washes away the sins of the world. This is the last Passover. It's, listen, you don't understand it because it, culturally it doesn't make sense to you, but it would be like me walking in here this morning and saying, this is our last service. You don't have to go to church no more. You can play golf. You can go out to eat. You can spend the day with your family. Church has been done away with. We don't need church anymore. To the Jew, that's how serious it was. So here you have heaven standing at attention. I believe they might have been singing, Oh, precious is the flow. So this is the last Lord, this is the last supper, the last Passover. I read a story, <coughs> I read a story years ago of a couple that was having all kinds of marital problems and they were on the verge of calling it quits. And they were actually in an argument in their home when the little girl, their only child, a little girl had wandered out and was hit by a car. In that moment, they ran out there. They called an ambulance. The ambulance came. They carried the child, little girl, to the ER. The little girl was a Christian. She went to church by herself. So they get to the ER, and ultimately, here's these fussing, feuding parents on the, on the verge of divorce. Here's these parents who are just literally, you know, at that point, all they're focused on is this little girl, but the little girl is dying. She's laying there in the ER, and she's dying. And so finally the doctor makes the parents aware we can't save her. It won't be long. They go in there, they stand on each side. Dad's on one side, mom's on the other. And the last act this child does is to take the hand of the mom and dad and put them in the hands of each other and look at the parent. Can't even say anything, looks at the parents and a tear trickles down her cheek, then she dies. My friend, that's what the Passover was about. The last Passover was our great mediator, our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who takes the hand of God in one hand and the hand of man in the other, and he does what Michelangelo drew so beautifully, and he brings them together. He reconciles sinful man with a holy God by the blood of the Lamb. Wow. Well, now, really, because health and everything would tell me not to go on, I'm going to go on. And much to your dismay, I'm going to go on because that's the Last Supper. Now, let's look at the trial. And I want you to listen very closely because this is critical. Joseph Salvador, and this is an individual who's wrote a great deal about the trial of Jesus Christ. So, real quickly, I want you to go, because see, I only get you one time a week, and some of you, you don't come very often, so I have to catch up. In John chapter 18, turn over to John chapter 18. We're going to look real quickly and then we'll close. We'll try. 
and I'm sick and you're not, some of you are well. And I'll sell you a cough drop too. John chapter 18, beginning at verse 12. (coughs) Are you there yet? Say amen when you get there. John chapter 18, verse 12. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him, brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Boy, that was a great line, wasn't it? That's worth underlining. Now let me read to you Joseph Salvador, because he did extensive research in this whole idea of the trial of Jesus Christ. He says this, and I want you to listen closely, because this is going to make a difference in your life And just as you understand the Lord's Supper, if you can understand the trial of Jesus Christ, it's going to change how you celebrate Easter, and it's even going to affect you this week. I want you to listen. Joseph Salvador states, On the day of the trial, the executive officers caused the accused person to make his appearance. At the feet of the elders were placed men who under the name of auditors or or candidates followed regularly the sittings of the council. In other words, a portion of the Sanhedrin was brought together to try Jesus. At their feet were, were auditors or those candidates who were actually recording everything that was taking place. They were warned, if you cause the condemnation of a person unjustly accused... His blood and the blood of all the, pros- all the posterity of him of whom you will have deprived the earth will fall on you and God will demand of you an account as he demanded of Cain on the account of Abel. In other words, what they understood was this. The Sanhedrin, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, the, the, the rulers of law, what all of them were told was this. If you convict an innocent man, not only will his blood be on your head, but his posterity, which means all those future generations will be directly, you'll be accountable for them. Let me tell you, that's exactly why America's in trouble because of abortion. It's innocent blood. When you spill it, God says, that's all right, I'll deal with it. Now listen on. Um, If you pronounce a guilty sentence that means death, his blood is going to be on you and not just his blood, but all the blood of the unborn that will never face, have an opportunity to face life. They will never reach this earth because you have taken their life. A woman, a child, or a person of bad character could not testify against a man or a woman and, and there had to be two witnesses. A judge could only... Now listen to this. A judge can only speak to the innocence of the person and never to the guilty, and never to the guilt. Salvador goes on to say, because it could turn a crowd into a mob. When the accused spoke, he was given profound attention, and when finished, the judge restated the case and removed all spectators. In other words, in the Jewish culture, there was every attempt to do everything possible to show mercy to the one that's being accused. They were warned repeatedly through the process. Are you with me so far? And I'm trying to move quickly. In, in, a, in a gathering like this, there had to be 23 present. Now, we're talking about the trial of Jesus Christ. There had to be 23 present. It rec- only 11, 11 of the 23 could acquit, which means they could set free someone. It took 13 to condemn a person. The sentence could not be carried out for three days, and the Sanhedrin was required to fast those three days and couldn't even drink liquor, wine. In other words, listen, once they reached a verdict of guilty, they couldn't pronounce the verdict for three days. And listen to this. 
because they couldn't drink wine, and we're, we're, when is this happening? When is the trial of Jesus taking place? What event? The Passover. The Passover was when they drank wine. With the Sanhedrin, those people that were trying to bring the verdict on Jesus, the trial of Jesus would be required for three days. They couldn't even celebrate the Passover, which, listen, according to the Jewish custom, Jewish law, was illegal. The trial should have never taken place. Let me read on. This couldn't happen before feast day because they would be fasting and therefore breaking the Jewish law. Listen to this. Morning of the third day. In other words, on the third day, after a verdict had been given, they returned to the judgment seat and each judge, each judge who had not changed his opinion said, I continue of the same opinion and condemn. Anyone who has first condemned might at this time acquit. In other words, somebody could, out of that 13 who had brought a verdict of guilty, they could acquit, turn right around and reverse what they had said. But if you had acquitted, you couldn't reverse and now say he's guilty. Does that make sense? So the sentence was now carried out. Third day, the elders sat in the seats in the judgment hall while the man was ushered out to the place of execution. This, according to Jewish law, should have been how Jesus was handled. The elders sat in the seats in the judgment hall. They would sit there while the man now was taken from them and he was carried to the place of execution. They could not leave. They had to stay there while they were executing the man. Now listen to this. They placed at the entrance of the hall an officer with a flag in his hand. A second officer of just, justice got on a horse and he rode after the party headed for execution. In other words, you've got him going to the execution. You've got a man riding behind with a flag. He also has a flag and he's on a horse. During this interval, if a person, if any person came, you need to listen to this. During this procession, if any person came to announce to the Sanhedrin any new evidence in favor of the prisoner, the first officer would wave his flag and the second one, as soon as he saw it, turned around and brought the prisoner back. If the prisoner, you need to listen to this. This next statement shook me. If the prisoner declared to the magistrates on the way to be crucified or to be executed, if he declared or said he remembered any reason as to his innocence which had escaped him, he was brought back and he could do that five times. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Nothing. He could have turned, according to Jewish law, and brought them back. Five times. It went farther. The herald in front with a loud voice addressed the people as he went along as they made their way toward the execution. This man, and he stated his name, is led to punishment for such a crime. The witnesses who have sworn against him are so and so. He names all the witnesses and then he, and he names each one of the persons. If anyone, and he says, if anyone has evidence to give in his favor, let him come forth quickly and come now where were his disciples. This was heralded all the way in front of the procession as they made their way along. If there was any evidence, Salvador says, if there's any evidence, tell us. And the back of the procession was looking to see if anyone was coming. And if they, anyone came, the man with the flag was there to wave it. And the one in the hall waved his, and immediately it was stopped. 
Every mom in this room, listen to what I'm asking you. Every mom who is silent at this moment, Mary. He is born of a virgin. All Mary had to do was say, Roman soldier, that person, Joseph, whatever, all the slanderous things have been said, she could have stopped immediately the procession if she would have just said, I have new information and I'm ready to stop this. Oh, ladies, you have no idea what she went through that day. At the site, they made the man drink a beverage to numb him somewhat, and then they executed, executed him. The Sanhedrin violated every single law. Let me list them. No trial could be at night. There were three days for the verdict of death. Fasting had to be done during those three days by the council and never on a feast day, according to Jewish law. There were no witnesses. There was no defense. He was sent to the house of Annas, and it, which was, it could never be done at a home, and it, was, it could never be done at night, which meant it was illegal. There were six trials. He was first sent to Annas for an arraignment, looking for a reason to condemn him. Annas was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who had been displaced, Annas, by the Roman government. Secondly, second trial, he was sent to Caiaphas, the chief priest, and the Sanhedrin in the middle of the night, illegal. Third, he was sent, the third trial, he was sent, Caiaphas met again with the Sanhedrin because they were trying to involve Rome. Fourth trial, he's then sent to Pilate. Fifth trial, Pilate is sent, sends Jesus to Herod. Sixth trial, Herod sends him back to Pilate who condemns him to death. They wanted his death. And you may say, why? Because Annas the chief priest and the father-in-law of Caiaphas, he hated Jesus. He hated him. And you may say, well, why did he hate him so much? Please listen. Perhaps it was because the buying and the selling and the money changers were called the bazaars of Annas. Annas owned the money-making business in the court of the Gentiles. Do you hear me? What did Jesus cleanse when he went into the court of the Gentiles? He cleansed all of the bazaars of Annas. And Annas at that moment in the Sanhedrin, he's got to die. Now let me move quickly and we'll close. Religion had become a money-making business. Jesus, listen, Jesus had watched his own parents. Let me show you what he had to do. When, when people came for the Passover... They came with an animal. Now, I want you to stay with me here. They came with, and I promise I'll close in a moment. They came with an animal. Number two, they took that animal. When Joseph and Mary came to the Passover in Jerusalem, if they came to the temple and they brought their Passover lamb or they brought even doves, which what poor people would do, listen, they would take it to a screening, screening committee the screening committee was made up of a group of priests who would look at it and they would basically determine whether it had a blemish or not. If it had a blemish or anything, they saw anything, guess what they would do? Are you with me? Are you listening? What they would do is they would turn and they would, they would reject their offering and they would send them to a corral to the money changers in the court of the Gentiles where they had pre-approved, already pre-approved sacrifices. And you know what Jesus is doing? Kicking them and throwing them, flipping over tables and letting all of that go. And that made them angry. Because religion was a money-making racket. 
go to our pens and they're already approved. And he watched Joseph, that carpenter. He watched Mary. He watched his parents in the middle of this religious fiasco. And he saw it over and over again. And when they went there, do you know what the average was? The average of the pre-approved flock or birds or lambs was three times the normal value. Finally, they had to go to the money changers. And because the Romans had the image of who on their, on their coins? Give unto Caesar what belonged. Because that was idolatry. Because that was an idol, idolatry to a Jew. Guess what they would do? They would say, listen, we can't take your coins either. And they had to also come with an offering. We can't take that. You'll have to go to the money changers. And guess what the money changers did? They just rooked them again. Because they were pagan coins. Do you understand how upset Jesus was and how he changed everything. My point is, and I wrote down here, I am often upset myself today when I see what religion is doing to the church and to people. Annas was evil. Jesus said this, and I'll let you stand in a moment. Jesus said this in the case of Annas. He said, this is your hour and the power of darkness. In other words, you know what he said? Angels on high alert, legions of angels, angels standing at attention, ready. He says to, he says to Annas and to Caiaphas, to Pilate, to Herod, all of them, he said, this is your hour, this is the hour of evil. And man, hell and Satan, Diabolos, Satan, listen, he's busy, let's stand. Because I can't let you sit down on this next part here anyway, so go ahead and stand. In John 18, verse 19, I want you to listen to this and, and, and hear a couple of things and then we'll close. When I, when, I, when, I, when I studied this and read this, Wednesday night, Sheila and I got home and Sheila had gone on into the kitchen and I was getting ready. I was coming in a moment later. When I came into the kitchen, I was crying. I was crying over this passage right here. Because in John chapter 18, I want you to read this. John chapter 18, verse 19, it said, Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. Jesus said, I've spoken to you openly. I have spoken openly to the world. Jesus replied, I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews came together. I never said anything in secret. Why question me? Are those who heard me? Or, or uh, ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. In other words, what Jesus is saying to Annas and Caiaphas, these high muckety-mucks in the religious world, he's saying, listen, there's nothing that has been hidden. I'm a man of integrity. If you've got anything to say, it's been said out there in the public. Just go out there and ask. Where, what Jesus was saying, he was appealing to Jewish law. Where are your witnesses? Verse 22, when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him on the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. Boy, I love this. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what I've said. As, testify as to what is wrong. But if I have spoke the truth, why do you strike me? Then Annas who's the power, the bazaars of Annas, who's a wicked, ungodly, wicked religious leader. Then Annas sent him still bound to Caiaphas, the high priest.
Everything's in secret. Everything's illegal. And everything is wrong here. And they strike him. And in that moment, he asks, why did you strike me? And boy, that just hit me. John MacArthur said this, and I thought it was good. He said, they could not find anything to accuse Jesus of. He said, he quote, quote, he says this, this is one of the greatest apologetics for the perfection of Jesus Christ anywhere in the scripture. If there was anything he ever did wrong, they would have found it. Now I want you to listen to this, I never thought about this. If it had been revealed to demons, to hell, to demons, they would have found it and relayed that information. But there is no crime, absolute perfection. This is God in human flesh, no less. They couldn't find anything, absolutely nothing, anything. And no wonder Peter said there was no gal in his mouth. No wonder Pilate said, I find nothing in him. We stand in his honor. Do you know him? Do you know him? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you. No, let's not pray. No, look this way. Come on, Lord. No, we're still praying. And I'm not on dope and going crazy because I'm sick. This is normal for me. If you're a visitor, you'd know that. Uh, If you're a member, you'd know it. A group of students in a, in, a, in, a, in a bus are in California going to, going to a college campus. In that, bus, in, that, in that bus, listen, I'm sure there was excitement. There were drivers. There were chaperones. There were people excited. They were thinking, high school students, they were thinking to themselves, man, listen, we're getting ready to go up here and look at this campus. We've got our whole future ahead of us. Man, they were excited. They were, there was all kinds of chatter and everything else going on. But at the same time, there was a FedEx transport truck coming. And in a moment, 10 people, in a matter of a moment, would be in eternity. All of the dreams, all of the aspirations, all of the college hopes, and all of the future, all of the careers, everything that they'd hoped for, listen, in that moment would be gone. One second, they were sitting on the bus laughing and celebrating and joking and talking about their future. And the next minute, listen to this, they were standing before the Lamb of God. Are you ready to meet him? Now I want you to listen to me closely and then we'll pray. You don't know when you're going to meet him. You think you've got plenty of time. And everyone on that bus and that driver of that truck, they thought the same thing. They were thinking just like you. And it was too late. Let's finish this prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you and Lord, we love you. You alone are worthy. Lord, I've done my best. And but it's only through the power of your Holy Spirit that Lord, you can take the message and you can dig it deep into the soul of a man or a woman or a young person. It is only you that can knock away the crusty hardness of a heart and allow this congregation to understand and 
the sacrifice that you made. You celebrated, you, you rode in on Palm Sunday, dear Lord. And though they celebrated, you knew that the cross was coming. You were led like a sheep, like a lamb to the slaughter. And we know that, Lord. Even as you celebrated the Lord's Supper and Passover, oh, it wasn't deliverance to, from Egypt. It was deliverance from sin. It was being set free. So, Father, we thank you for that. And we pray, dear Lord, even as we've contemplated and thought about the trial, the trial that you went through, dear Lord, you did it for every person in this room. You've paid our penalty. You provided a means of salvation for every human being that ever walked this earth. Lord, you ask that we receive you. And I pray, dear Lord, that you'll speak to the hearts of people here. And dear Lord, whatever decisions need to be made, that they'll make them today. And that, dear Lord, we will quit trampling under our feet the grace and the love of Jesus and live lives that please you and honor you. Father, religion today is in a mess. We've got churches that are, have more money than they know what to do with. We've got staff positions with great privileges and benefits. We've got everything, dear Lord. We've, we've got so much wealth today on TV ministries and, and so much wealth that is squandered for the sake or under the disguise of religion and even Christianity. But Lord, it is a far cry. Some of it is no more than the bazaars of Annas. Some of it, dear Lord, is so corrupt and so abusive and so mismanaging of the funds and the resources that you give us. God, forgive us. We are a Laodicean age. We are rich and we think we have need of nothing. We are, as Paul said, we hold to a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. Oh, God, help us not to be religious. Help us not to go through the ceremony. Help us to understand the sacrifice. May we be more like you, Jesus. And Lord, if there's one here, whatever decision, would you lead them to come forward even now? And we'll give you the honor in the name of Jesus. Amen.